To welcome you to today's podcast, we have our two guests again, Fran and John, who have shared with us on retiring in Penang. Hey, great to be back, Josh. In today's quick video, we'll be touching on your story on how you guys broke out of the corporate rat race and retired very early. So without you know giving too much away, let me invite you guys to share a bit of your backgrounds first. Well, I'm Fran, I'm Malaysian. I lived in Singapore for 13 years. So I started my corporate career in Dell in Penang. Um, and I worked there for seven years and then I moved, I decided to move to Singapore and that I became a headhunter in Singapore. And that's where I met John. He was my candidate. I placed him <laughs> in my client's organization. Uh, so I've been, uh, I've been working in corporate for, you know, 17 years of my life. And I broke out of corporate because I, I knew that corporate wasn't for me early on. You know, in uh, 2006, when I was still in Dell, I started a bikini business with my then colleague. So I really knew early on when I was 26, 27 years old, that corporate wasn't for me. And, you know, I tried several businesses along the way. And uh, we, in 2018, we started our hawker business uh, together. Okay, so for me, it's, it's uh, not so exciting. Like, it's a bit more boring. <laughs> I'm uh, really a true blue Singaporean. You know, I go through the education route, got my degree, served my national service. You know, and then uh, I worked for 15 years in the corporate predominantly in the IT sector. Uh, so a bit of marketing background, but predominantly sales and business development. Uh, and of course, during the phase of my um, my corporate career, I managed to always have a lot of strategic business discussion with the, the C-suite people. So I get to really have a very good um, understanding from uh, and, and in the MNCs that I work in terms of uh, improving my business skill sets, my sales skill sets. But unfortunately, I got stuck in my comfort zone for too long so for 15 years like towards the last five seven years of my career i feel like you know like just doing the same thing yeah i wasn't really challenging myself and i and i knew inside that i probably had a lot more to offer uh but i didn't really want to work for other people and then maybe get friends so, to headhunt you to a different job la. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that, that's the thing if i jump from this job to another job it's pretty mm. much the same thing and um i'm not really exploring what i'm really capable of I mean, bear in mind, our jobs were, or my job was pretty high paying and I, I was very comfortable. I had my house and my car quite early in my career. That's why I'm, I'm a bit of a Singapore poster boy, right? But the thing is, deep inside, there's nothing really that excites me being a corporate job other than do the bare minimal. Right nowadays, there's new terms, right? <laughs> quite quitting, bare minimal, Mondays. So, but anyway, I really felt that I needed to break out of that comfort zone that's so strong in me, right? Everything's so comfortable. Then so would a, leave... a sabbatical be useful or not? It sounds like you had a burnout. Maybe you have taken a sabbatical yes. that, that could help. Yes, pretty much. Uh, and I think in those, that was 2016-17 before we started a hawker mm. business, before we decided to really take the leap. Uh, burnout is probably part of it, but I would say it's more of I'm, I was super comfortable and I was afraid that you know, the next 20, 30 years of my life, I work until 65 like this, uh, is not really what where I want my life to be headed. So that was around 12 years of my corporate career then. It's like, oh, first time I go and start a business. Mm. You know, and it, it wasn't easy because it's not like I was in my 20s. Like, ah, okay, let's just try here, try there. You know, I've been in the corporate for more than more than 10 years. So that was a huge stretch for me. And I left because I, I just needed to challenge myself and try something totally different like hawker right which is yeah. very different. so yeah. i'm very proud of him because from a guy who wears suit and tie <laughs> every day go to work nicely you know he you know we wear shorts and t-shirt in a hot environment and then talking to the aunties uncles who scold us you know who are then all the grumpy customers i'm very proud of him because he handled himself very well for me i think i float into the 
talk business quite seamlessly because I like to cook, I like to talk to people. You had that entrepreneur you know, drive, uh, like like you know your your bikini yeah. business idea. Uh, to, to really yeah. test yourself. That that part I can I can feel it. So yes. on the hawker business, maybe some story on that journey also. Yeah, okay. Um Chai? Yeah, go ahead. So we, we opened up in uh, Chinatown Hawker Center and uh, that was in 2018. So we did oh. that for about a year. And then at the same time, you know, Chinatown uh, wanted to close for six months to do renovation. It was mm. a major one. So we actually took the opportunity to look for another store uh, in the meantime. And that was when we closed that one down and we went to Alexandra Market, the one opposite Akia in uh, Queenstown. So why we actually left uh, Chinatown was because business was good, uh, but we couldn't scale and we were on all the delivery platforms, but the deliveries weren't coming in because the surroundings were not, well, people were not so tech savvy around around the mm -hmm. area. Um, and then when we went to Alexandra, it would have had a different problem. Business was also good. Um, however, you know, rental was a lot higher. The footfall was slower. So we, we had great business on the weekends, but our weekdays were, well, well it, was, it was like that. Can so, champ it on the rent or not? Like, is it cheaper in Alexandra versus China, which has oh no. more footfall? Oh no, we were paying, because, uh, you know, we were at NEA hawker stalls, right? So it was yeah. via a bidding system. So our Chinatown rental was about, I think it was 2007, 2008, was it? Yeah. Yeah, 2007, 2008. So that was just a rental per month, right? Then you've got your conservancy, yes. you got your table cleaning. Then of course you got your utilities and whatnot. And then in China, uh, sorry, in Alexandra, we were paying 3,000 for, for our rental. And then again, same thing, right? Your table cleaning, conservancy, etc. So our running costs were very, very high. And then we also imported our ingredients from Penang. Because we we, oh. we we sold uh, authentic Penang food. To get authentic Penang food, you need to have authentic Penang ingredients. Right? So our costs are pretty high. And then we have a hawker assistant, which we paid him 2002 a month. So, you know, even every month before we even open for business, we are already down several thousand dollars. I think the point on scaling is very true. A lot of hawkers can't really scale because employing staff is difficult, right? You can't, you know, employ foreigners for hawker stores. That really tightens the manpower issue and uh, you have to cook it yourself. I guess that's the yes. journey. Introducing our kind sponsor for today, Mumu. If you're looking to invest into Singapore stocks, especially they actually have a national day campaign right now, term Rediscover Singapore. Mumu has the lowest trading charges for Singapore stocks, $0 in commissions. And if you're an existing user, it's a one year promotional period. If you are a new user, fantastic. Right now signing up, you can get up to $700 worth of welcome rewards. Simply deposit $10,000 and perform 5 trades to earn yourself this maximum tier. There is also a 3000 tier to get started and if you're keen, look for my referral codes below. On Mumu's platform, you will be able to see real-time codes of Singapore stocks. If you for example want to have ownership of Vivo City Mall, Maple Tree Pan Asia Commercial Trust could be a read that you are keen in. As the saying always goes, it's the easiest to be a landlord than to start an F&B business. But in any case, investing will definitely help you in your financial freedom journey. So if you're keen again, look for links below and we'll dive back to our discussion. So, you know, Josh, uh, we initially when we opened the hawker store, we wanted to, you know, build a food empire, right? And that was <laughs> one of our mechanisms to create passive income for us. So because we, you know, I, I'm an entrepreneur, I say I don't want to work for anyone anymore. So early retirement, breaking out of corporate has always been our game plan. Yes. Our hawker is just one of the mechanisms to get there, right? Yeah. So, of course, after two years, we said, wow, this one cannot. Uh, we quit our high-paying jobs uh, and we can't earn money from this hawker stock. Wow, really cannot. You know, it's foolish to keep 
for pumping in more money just to keep the store alive. It doesn't make sense, right? When we can use our skills and expertise hmm. somewhere else to make even more money. So that's when we decided to wrap up and uh, we call it a day for the hawker. So speaking about this point on getting ready for the hawker business, just in case anyone listening in has that motivation, has that drive, wants to go in this direction also. Uh, could you share a bit on how much you have saved up before starting your hawker business and how much you have spent on renovations and stuff? What are some learning points? So first of all, it's very important, uh, not just for hawker business, but also for business in general, right? To have the financial runway to hold you through the number of probably years, mm-hmm. like wouldn't be months, that you need to, to, to make sure that you're given this business enough time, whether it works or not. Now then you've got to handle your your running costs, your own personal running costs, right? So for us, we came from corporate sector and all that. So naturally, uh, based on our earning capacity there, we, we have a private condo and then I also, I, I own a car as well. So naturally, that's part of our expenses that we need to save up. Of course, it differs from people to people. Uh, but what I would suggest for anybody who's interested in starting up, make sure you have the financial runway for you to last, whether it's one year or two years, depending on what's your business plan. Right, to decide on your next course of action. And if it really doesn't work out, work out in our case, after two years, we really tried everything mm. that we could and we know that this business is cannot, not because we gave up after a few months because it's tough, at least financially, you know you've got that set up for you uh, to last you through before we both went back to corporate. Yeah, but the lessons we learned in that uh, hawker store was tremendous, you know. Like, I, I never really realize how much people actually support us and love us like you know josh for the last for two years that means 24 months every single day we had somebody who knew us who came to eat at our store every single day you know that that to me was was very touching because i didn't we didn't know that there's so much support around us until we opened up a humble store and then people came and uh, support us and then customers became friends you know friends became customers uh, it's really amazing that part of when, you know, you see people take the time to come down and, you know, give you all the support that you need. I actually started an ice cream business myself also. Uh, it didn't yeah. do too well. Looking back, maybe some of the branding, some of the packaging, some of the end product stuff wasn't too good also because I wasn't having a lot of experience in F&B. So if you were to round out that point on your hawker journey, uh, what was something that if you look back, you could have done differently that might have impacted the business a lot better? What would be that one nugget of wisdom that you would like to share? Sure. For me, if I were to restart the stall again, I'll go really heavy, really big on social media. Hmm. Before the stall even existed, uh, videos on TikTok, on the, you know, what's, what's going to come out on the menu, for example, or a sample of the food on Instagram, on uh, Facebook. Really go really heavy on social media way before the stall started because uh, our mistake was um, we only started social media three to four months after the stall hmm. was run in. Agree, agree. John, any any points? Of course, first of all, for anybody who's interested in the hawker business, I would say go for it, right? Even if it fails, at least there's tons of learning lessons, there's tons of experience, whether as a business entrepreneur or somebody who wants to persevere in the food, food uh, F&B business, these uh, learnings will be tremendous to set you up for your, your later ons. And I would say if I were to want to continue in well, the F&B business, not even just the hawker, uh, maybe I would go for a cloud kitchen concept this time around. Cloud Kitchen has ability to scale because uh, you can always grow, you know, the size to what you want very fast because the equipment and all the the setup is all done for you already. You just need to pay the rent. And of course, if you can really like, you know, you start small, right? So you start with a smaller kitchen and you can really focus on delivering your food. And one of the things that I also uh, did a bit of research on Cloud Kitchen is 
some of the cloud kitchens have ready customer pool for you. For example, they are in Woodlands. They already have, let's say, a 200,000 ready customers that potentially will buy into you. This model allows you to go in, dip your feet, and then test the market. Test the market. Mm. Work, don't work you can faster exit, right? Right, then you set up the store and all that. You know, the dismantling process uh, for us was crazy. No? Two stores, I uh, had to dismantle everything, NEA, say, everything reinstate back to normal, like a normal house, right? Or you buy and sell. So that was quite painful, right? That's not the focus that we want to put our time and energy in. We want to focus on creating the food and then scaling the process, you know, and growing. So I would say, Maybe try a cloud kitchen or maybe, um, you know, uh, if you're really, really unsure, even just start a home-based business to just test your food, you know, and then try out before you really grow into the next phase. Sounds like the minimum viable product theory that a lot of entrepreneurship classes are teaching right now, which is to test whether that thing is okay or not. Then from there, you scale. A hawker business naturally is confined to the location. And again, manpower limits everything. But a cloud kitchen, yeah, maybe in that aspect can help you achieve your entrepreneurship dreams a lot better. Then let's move on to the next point on your retirement journey. So we sold our house, we sold our car, we picked up our things and then we moved in with parents for a little while because we no longer had a house. And then uh, we bought an investment property for rental and then uh, we stayed with his mom. We follow more towards Kim and Robert Kiyosaki where, mm. you know, your passive income and then your outflow, your income must always be more than your outflow. Yeah. And, and if you can survive around that, then that's when you're financially free. That's why our path is more towards the cash flow game. So when we go by a cash flow game, uh, as what friend mentioned, Robert King Kirosaki, right? So it's fantastic, right? They started their retirement journey, I believe in the 90s. Robert Kirosaki was around late 40s. Kim Kirosaki was late 30s. They started with 10,000 of passive income, USD. Uh, with real estate, right, with a lot of properties. But the 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 really the part that really got me is they only spend three thousand out of ten thousand every month. Every month. So why is it they don't spend five, six, seven, eight thousand out of ten? But they decided to start with three. The key is start, right? For us, when we start a retirement journey to Malaysia, right, our new starting point is where we are very excited about. We can't compare to our corporate days where we're earning high paying jobs, we have a car and all that. Definitely the running cost is higher, right? So in Kim and Robert Kiyosaki's uh, concept, right? They know that the 7,000 extra is going to go back into the investments. And they know that the investments, that they're going to buy more properties because they have more leverage capabilities, right? They can hold bigger loans, right? Going to help them accelerate their net worth and their wealth. So by that short-term sacrifice, just by spending 3,000 a month for them, probably, I don't know how long it's, I don't think it's stated, maybe three, four, five years. Then suddenly that 10K become 15, 20, 30, 40K. So the cash flow game is both your monthly cash flow, how you can increase per month, and also your net worth. So we love, we love this concept, and that is the concept that we went for early retirement. Yep, and they upscale the lifestyle according to their cash flow. Right. Whereas, for example, I mean, I was guilty of it as well. For you say, for example, in my old job, I was earning 10, 12K, right? Then I'll also spend around 9, 8, 10,000 a month, right? So, but we've learned, right, based on the hawker and all that, we can actually live on very little because back in the hawker days, just a very short one, we worked six, day, uh, six, six days and our, on our rest day, we were actually very busy doing banking and buying supplies and whatnot. We actually have no time to spend money even if we wanted yes. to, right? So 
every night, you know, we watch Netflix and we sleep early and that's all we need, right? I don't need to buy new clothes. There's no makeup because I don't wear any at the hawker stall. Whereas back in corporate, new clothes, new bag, new shoes, eating out, drinks, it's a lot of money spent. So we learn how to scale our life down and be contented with little. However, as our passive income goes up, that's where we scale our life up as well. And that's a very important tool, which not many people um, are, are used to using because, you know, money in, money out, money in, money out, and they always assume they have a job. So if I were to hear and summarize the key points, the first is that you manage to build your passive income above your expenses. And once it's above, you would invest the surplus and you believe that that will compound your passive income sources also. Then the second That's is right. to keep your expenses low. And being through the hawker business, you realize that you had a side of frugality that they never knew of. And you managed to squeeze out expenses such that you are compounding cash flows. Way bigger than your expenses currently. Well, I, I don't, we don't really like the word frugal because it means scarcity and lack. I mean, we, we live well, we eat well, we travel well, right? We don't go like, oh, you know, uh, ramen is 20 ringgit. Oh, I cannot. Let's find an 11 ringgit ramen. We, we don't do that. When we, we don't do that. You know, even in Singapore, we go for, you know, nice uh, Japanese meals and you know, we spend the money. It's, it's actually more of a prioritization. So, for example, you know, I if I used to go for, let's say, uh, branded handbags, you know, I don't anymore. You know, it's weighing off the cost. Like, one branded handbag can take me to Bali. I rather choose the experience rather than a branded handbag, hmm. right? So it's, it's that kind of choice that gets us to where we are today. If, if 10,000 is coming in, we don't really want to spend the 10K. You know, we, we spend maybe 5K, right? And, uh, and, and take that 5K and reinvest it back. Because in the future, that 10K will go into 20K, 20K to 30K. Yeah. And then, of course, we scale our lifestyle to that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I just gave you an example. Just when we first came back to Penang, I met up with my ex-girl colleagues, right? And then they say, "Oh, you're very good, ah, huh? you retire already, huh? Then I say, "Yeah, yeah, retire already." Then they ask me, "What car do you drive?" I say, "Oh, we bought a new Honda City." Then someone asked me, "Why not buy a Mercedes? Since you're so rich, ma?" I say, "But why should I? You know?" So that is the exact mentality of someone who needs to work, 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 versus us, right? Like, why should I buy a Mercedes? just to drive around Penang and maybe just the occasional road trips, right? And this car I'm already intending to sell when we go back to Singapore in a few years time, you see, but people don't see it that way. They see the car as a status symbol. You're retired, therefore you're rich. Therefore you need to drive a continental car, a Mercedes or even a Ferrari to show off. If you're on YouTube viewing this, help us smash a like, smash a subscribe. That's all we ask delivering you this fantastic content. And don't forget to check our kind sponsor for today, Mumu, with their National Day campaign. So, Fan and John, maybe a last piece of advice. Okay, so for me, if you want to early retire or semi-retire, right, it doesn't fall by accident. It doesn't come by accident. Mm. It is a deliberate intention that you want to early retire and you plan towards that and you need to commit to it. Anyone listening in, if you have questions for Fan and John, do leave in the comment sections. I guess they'll also be picking up from there. Thank you, Fan and John, again for stepping in. We'll see you in the next one. Goodbye. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Thank Bye. you, Josh.